Welcome to The Other Coast, a podcast detailing the Malifaux meta in Los Angeles. My name is Jeff, and with me is another Circle player, Colgan. Hey, everyone. Hey, Colgan. Uh, so, tonight we thought we would talk about expensive models of 10 Soulstone and, and higher, um, excluding Masters. We originally had this in our episode Idea Bank for quite a while, listed as a uh, do expensive models have to have three AP to be worth it or or something like that? Um, I think we kind of expanded on the concept a little bit, but as we get into it, people, I think will hear us coming back to that theme again and again about efficiency being kind of a make or break point. Uh, I guess to kind of frame the discussion, Colgan, you know, what are some things to think about uh, in considering whether or not an expensive model is going to be good or not? When we're talking a little bit about this in the pre-show, the main thing because we kind of had an idea, you know, of like when we're picking crews, it's like, oh, this 10-point model is great. This one kind of sucks. And it was kind of making it so that we, I guess, had a little bit more criteria behind that rather than just like, this one feels better. Mm-hmm. So for us, I guess when we kind of broke it down and looked at what we generally consider to be, you know, high-cost models that are worth it versus ones that are like trash and then we pretty much never take. Um, in order to be, I guess, because we had like three categories, which is pretty much like good, okay, and then bad. And now that I'm thinking about it, we probably should have come up with maybe better categories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the problem when you go straight from kind of like the brainstorm outline to recording, because we just have things in sort of this like uh, lumpy shorthand, and now we're stuck with good, okay, and bad as our spectrum. Not really very impressive. But, I guess uh, it would have been, it's probably better to reframe it as high cost models that you would take, I guess, out of keyword. But I guess that doesn't really cover versatiles. No. It, so, so I guess, you know, <laughs> we think of high cost models, uh, the good high cost models as being the right choice in a wide range of situations, either because they have super high efficiency or they bring something unique to the table and that unique tool is going to have like a wide range of applicability or it's going to be like incredibly strong against what it's supposed to be doing and then we think of okay models as models that are decent in keyword probably lack or you know maybe they're dependent on keyword synergies or you know for whatever reason they don't bring quite as much to the table as uh you know what we think of as the good ones and then what what kind of defines the models that we've put into this bad category yeah, in the bad category, if you're looking at models, like even if you're taking them within keyword, they're kind of being crowded up by other options, either because what they do isn't unique enough in the keyword or they don't bring enough value to it. And at that point, like if you're not even considering a model, taking a model within its keyword, it's like there's no way that you're going to pay extra to bring them out of keyword. <laughs> right. And so I should say that, you know, because these models are high cost one issue that they face that you know a lot of mid-range models maybe don't is that some of the models on this list might be perfectly respectable as models, uh, but they just might not be giving you enough for their high cost. And so, you know, one reason why they get put in one of these categories, there are more efficient options out there. But it's not if you find that you like one of these models, it's not like we're saying that you know you're a bad player or you're an idiot. You know, for all we know, you you're right and we're wrong. These are the models that kind of we have found either through our own play or what we've seen either in our meta or, uh, you know, with all the Vassal games that are available and what I've seen just kind of as a trend worldwide. And we've kind of taken 
that sense and put these models into these categories. And all that is kind of a long preamble by saying, hey, you know, these are our assessments. You should play what you want. If one of our if one of your favorite models is in our bad category, uh, you know, just keep taking it if that's what you want to do. I think this is probably another reason why we should have thought of better names for the category. <laughs> now it just sounds inflammatory. Don't take these bad models. But I, I think that is one of the difficult things too, because some of these models we list as bad, like you read the stats, you read their actions, and they seem like perfectly fine models. But once you kind of like zoom out and look at all the options available within keyword or within faction, it's when it starts becoming like really fuzzy when you actually want to take them. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, I think we actually should have leaned deeper into uh, inflammatory titles because that's how you get those clicks. Uh, we should have changed bad to like total trash or if you hire them, quit the game. Oh, yeah, we need to we need to start putting out more clickbait titles. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess to start with the models that good players take. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so so good models, and and again, we are talking about basically ten soulstone and higher. So there's some fantastic nine soulstone models uh, that are not you know really going to be talked about. Um, and it's not that we don't know that Fuhatsu exists, uh, but <laughs> you know we're talking about ten soulstone and higher. So to start us off, Kulgan, what's uh you know what's one of our models in this ten soulstone or higher category, and why do we like it? Yeah, so one of the ones we start off with is the Corfi Duet. And mm -hmm. I guess this is kind of like the model for high efficiency in a model. Mm -hmm. Since with all the replace shenanigans, you can pretty much get like four AP out of it. And then on top of that, with has like seven defense, which is insanely high in the game. And even if you do manage to hit it, it has armor two to kind of help reduce a lot of the damage, keep it on the table. Armor 2 with 10 health makes it so hard to chew through unless you have armor piercing. And even with armor piercing at defense 7, it's hard to get a reliable hit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, its attacks are pretty good too. Yeah, sitting at, you know, again, like across the board, like its <laughs> stats are just amazing. Like stat 7 attack, again, like very few models that high. Most models, you know, you're hitting without having to spend any high cards or really having to worry too much about keeping high cards in hand. And on top of that, like you don't even care too much about what your suit is because they, all of the triggers on their attack are pretty good. Yeah, it's got triggers on, on everything except masks. Uh, and Execute and Critical Strike are both fantastic triggers. The Vision's a Glamour. Sometimes it's not going to do anything because uh, it is a pulse. If, it, if actually the target as well, it would be much better. But there are going to be times when it won't do anything. There's going to be times when it does do stuff. And if that's your worst trigger, you're you know you're sitting pretty uh, pretty good. It's two damage track is a bit disappointing, but you know when you're looking at all the AP efficiency it gives, it's it's good triggers, it's defense, it's high stats. I think it can be forgiven for just having a, a min two. It also has blade rush and incidental ping damage. Uh, can just be fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, there's circumstances where it's gonna completely change the math on what is or isn't possible you can use it to kill that that hard to kill model you know get that model down to the hard to kill and then and then kill with the attack it daw hates uh blade rush you know it, it's just really effective against things like incorporeal it's great against things that have high armor because they're still going to take the one damage anyways uh the corfi duet are they they have movement tricks they have efficiencies they have a great attack they have good defenses 
they're just like an all-around standout model i think yeah yeah and you know we didn't talk about but the agile and nimble makes it really annoying because you can't even really tar pit them because they'll just walk away with six movement and just pretty much hit whatever they want to hit and the replace into mannequins is a lot more significant than you then might be appreciated at first Mm -hmm. right so your opponent if the duet's really low your opponent might use it to break through right and even though it dies there's still going to be models there they might be able to you know go off and and scheme and or you know they can satisfy the you know the condition to need to have a model or whatever you know it can be great for them trying to claim a marker you know because even if they die uh, they can replace into the mannequin and and still you know still potentially claim something even when you think you know yes i've gotten the the duet down sure the duet's a lot better than two mannequins but the fact is those mannequins can still provide value to your opponent so even even in death, they're still useful. And and when you round out everything that they do while they're still alive, you know, that just feels almost like an extra bonus. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the things too, right? Because, you know, they're expensive at 12 points, but I feel like whenever I'm fighting them, the amount of resources I need to pour into them to try and break them down or get them off the table, it feels very inefficient. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah. like it's like maybe i should just let them do their thing but then they end up killing like half your crew and it's just like god god damn it they're also constructs which can have synergies in certain circumstances with certain crews or you know they they could get helped out by by like cheap models that are kind of focused around helping constructs they're just they're just an a plus model they're great in keyword they're great out of keyword you can hire two duet or, or sorry, two Corophy, or you can hire the duet. If you're doing it in keyword, it's the same cost. But if you're doing it out of keyword, uh, it would cost you 14 to hire two Corophy, whereas only 13 to hire the duet. So they're even potentially, you know, the fact that the duet basically is these two Corophy models, which by the way, the Corophy models are no slouches either for six cost models. So even if you split them apart and you never use them as the duet, you can still get a lot of value out of them. I think the duet is just an absolutely fantastic model. So that was kind of a uh, an easy pitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, another model on our list, uh, Mad Dog. Why don't you talk about why Mad Dog is is a good model or why we have it in this category? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of in a similar vein, though not as extreme. Mad Dog is just very efficient for his costs like he has running gun with a three four five blast gun um so there's a bit of you know there's a bit of uniqueness in that i think like the only other model with a gun like that is bass um so he has very reliable damage and on top of that it's very reliable range damage Mm -hmm. um and especially because it's running gun his threat range is huge right the you know the main drawback is that if you're stuck using low tech like guns and Malifaux, you have to contend with cover that rule that comes up like in maybe 25 percent of games <laughs> uh, but he has he has this nice little bonus action called blow to hell which in addition to just negating cover to models near the marker he can also blow up destructible terrain which is really nice tech against marker based masters yeah yeah or at least destructible terrain right marker masters 
again, I, I think this is going to be sort of a familiar trend with all the, these models that we're talking about. But yeah, you know, he's, he's got good actions and he has extra efficiency. You know, running gun is an extra efficiency. It's, you know, it's not always going to be the same as a third AP, but the ability to make that move and that shot, you, you know, really does add a lot to a gun model. Because another gun model, you know, is probably going to have to give up AP at certain points to move itself into position uh, to make these shooting attacks. But with running gun, uh, you're just, you're getting the shot basically for free or the move for free, depending on how you want to think about it. He also, he's got anti-scheme tech because he's, you know, part of the Parker keyword and that's based on scheme marker manipulation. So he, he can help uh, if if it's a scheme heavy pool, he's just an added value there. He, uh it's quite easy to make him fast because you can just drop your own scheme markers for him to eat. Uh, you know, say with like a really cheap model, you drop a scheme marker, then when Mad Dog starts, he eats it and gets fast, which is going to give him a third AP. And then with running gun, you, you know, he's going to be putting out a bunch of shots. So yeah, I mean, I think Mad Dog is an example of a model where he's straightforward and great. There aren't a bunch of, like, there's no blind side right when the, the the duet can do like a bunch of crazy stuff and and as an opponent you might not always see everything that the duet's going to do but mad dog when you see him across the table you pretty much know what he's going to be doing he's just really good at it the triggers on his attacks are really good mm-hmm. and i think it's pretty rare to have armor piercing on a 3 4 5 damage track and built in yeah he's got that built in crow trigger to just declare armor piercing I mean, you sacrifice the blast, but if you need the armor piercing, dropping the blast usually isn't a big deal. Yeah, in fact, I feel like it's rarely a decision point. You know, usually it's clear which of the two is is the best choice, mm-hmm. and it's nice as a player who has Mad Dog to not have to sit there and agonize over. Geez, I really need to hit multiple models, but I also really need to like kill this model with armor. Uh, no, it's generally you know blast. Blasts are great, but they typically require a lot of setup mm-hmm. or, you know, you have to be kind of fighting a crew that's already sort of hemmed in or, or whatever. It, it's usually if you're doing well with the blast, you're hitting like one extra model, right? It's pretty rare where you're getting ever getting more than that. Right. And so I think it's typically going to be pretty clear when you need to, to get the armor piercing instead. If he has one knock against him, it's maybe that his defenses aren't fantastic. But as a as a shooter, uh, he's maybe going to be a, a little bit further back. And uh, as a henchman, which not all these expensive models are, he can use soul stones. So Arik and Anna Lovelace are two models that we have in our good category. And we, we kind of have lumped them together, even though they're not, you know, you wouldn't really necessarily use them the same. But these are two models that are examples of, uh, we were saying that some models are going to be great because they have a, a ton of efficiency. And some models are going to be great because they have specific tech. And Anna and Ark both have specific tech. They're also just good models, right? They they have good values. They have, they have good actions or whatever. But talk to me a little bit about why Ark and Anna specifically are in this good category. Right. So they're a bit unique in this case because they don't have like a way to get that third AP or their attacks in general aren't like significantly more efficient than other models in in their class. The the big thing about them is they have the ability gravity well, which against certain crews and keywords can complicate a lot of things for the opponent. 
Yeah, you know, when a lot of people think of Gravity Well, you know, especially a lot of beginner players and our podcast is sort of oriented more at people who are, are starting out or, or kind of uh, progressing through their journey in Malifaux because expert players listen to better podcasts than ours. Um, <laughs> but, if, you know, when you look at Gravity Well and you see, oh, a model can't be placed, there are obvious implications to that. You're like, oh, yeah, well, nothing can fly around or, not, you know, nothing can use an action to, to like leap or place, you know, whatever. That That's very clear. But when you think about it further, you know, demise effects that turn into other models, like the, the Corfi duet can't turn into a mannequin. You can't summon within that area because it's a place. It, it has like just a lot of these, it shuts down a lot of things and it, it almost nothing in the game cancels an aura. So it's a hard counter to a lot of annoying stuff. Anna also has hostile work environment. That is another action, or another ability, rather, that I think it's pretty easy to underrate, but against the right crews or in the right situations, it's just really strong. Right. And, I mean, yeah, Gravity Well, and I guess for Anna, Gravity Well and Hostile Work Environment definitely push them over the edge, but even without those, like, they're definitely solid models. Like, they both have very good attacks, and, you know, they're kind of powerhouses in their own right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good example of sort of what puts them into good category or, you know, what elevates them above a lot of these other 10 Solso models, because it's the rare 10 Solso model that you look at the card and you're like, this thing doesn't do anything, mm. right? Almost all of these models do stuff and, and the stuff that they do when you read the card, it seems valuable, but Anna and Arik, they do that and they bring more stuff to the table, right? They have good actions or, you know, solid defenses or whatever. And then they have this unique tech, and that's what sort of elevates them over maybe some other options. I see Anna taken out of keyword in a lot of Vassal games, and although Auric is not as common, partially because, you know, Mad Dog does exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we just talked about Mad Dog, right? You know, Auric, mm -hmm. Auric's a good model, but there's he's not always going to be the right choice, whereas I think Mad Dog has like a wider range of utility. But yeah, both Anna and Ark are solid models with just really good anti-tech abilities. So let's talk about Jonathan. Jonathan's interesting because previous to the, to the most recent errata, I guess the April or March 2020, I forget which one it was, but you know, in, he, he got a buff and previous to that buff, he was just a bad model. And now he's a good model. So Colgan, maybe you can talk about first why he's good and then, you know, maybe like what changed or or how that change came about. So I, I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing, right? Um, previously, like he was all right. You know, if you're in Frontier, you'd probably take him, especially because Frontier kind of hurts a bit for solid melee models. But what brought him up was that the changes made him more efficient. Like previously, mm -hmm. Stoic Nod was... It's just a bad action for such a high cost model. Yeah. You know, you're spending an action to heal one, two, or three. And it's like, great. <laughs> like, <laughs> it it just it feels terrible. Like as a bonus action, it would have been great, but using up a a general AP that, you know, on your three, four, five melee guy, it's like, when are you ever using this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He had kick up dust, which was, you know, fine, but with the change, they added the sudden strike trigger. So now he can actually kind of have like a pseudo flurry on a pretty low TN, which makes it nice. So more or less, as long as you have like a Ram card in hand, you can chuck it to get another attack with Jonathan. 
And they finally added execute to his executioner clause, <laughs> which, yeah, I don't, that, that just like felt terrible from like, <laughs> I just like a lore standpoint. And, you know, before that, like ex- executioner clause is a great attack action, three, four, five, two inch range. So you can, you know, force people to actually have to close the distance. So it's like pseudo slow against a lot of models. Yeah. And no defensive triggers against it either. Yeah. No resistance triggers, which is, um, it's really nice when it comes up. Mm-hmm. It's situational, but in the situations where it matters, it, it can really matter. Right, right. Those little changes in efficiency, like it was basically adding those two triggers, right? So now Stoic Nod has a trigger, I've got well, three this. triggers. Oh, yes, yes, execute. So on Stoic Nod, they added, I've got this. So in addition to healing a friendly model, he can now heal himself, which is, you know, it that's pretty good, especially because he has a hard to kill. Mm-hmm. so any model that has hard to kill that has built-in self-heal is great because you just if he's in kind of like a kind of precarious position you just wait until the enemy like dumps their attack damage drops hard to kill and then you pop that little self-heal and now the enemy again has to pour in at least two ap to try and take this model down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i mean he's got he's got grit so when he's read half he's going to be taking less damage He's a guild model. The odds he's going to have leadline coat are not bad. Uh, and and so, you know, that'll be giving him armor and combined with hard to kill and disguised. You know, disguised is one of those actions that, again, uh, you read it on the card. Sometimes it doesn't really impact you how useful it is. But on the table, when you're fighting someone with disguised, it, it's pretty frustrating, right? Like sometimes, you know, you'll just charge and not make the attack. And so you just lost the attack out of it. Sometimes you'll charge someone else because it's like, oh, well, I don't want the attack to get wasted. So I'm going to go over here and attack this other model instead. So, you know, disguised, it's not as good maybe as extended reach. It's kind of interesting to me that Jonathan has disguised instead of extended reach because, uh, <laughs> like, how disguised is this guy? I mean, he's a huge model. He's got these, wear- like, uh, Wolverine executioner claws. Uh, so I think it is kind of interesting that he has disguised. But, he he is kind of like an AP sink for opponents to attack, especially, you know, in melee. What I think is really interesting about Jonathan is it did not take weird, like we didn't have to make huge sweeping changes to take what was kind of a bad a, two AP min three beater and turn it into like a pretty good, potentially, you know, three AP beater just through adding those three triggers mm-hmm. as and again as a henchman which you know he is and, and not every expensive model um is going to be his triggers are much more reliable because he can stone for them so even if you don't have a, a you know a ram to pitch for an extra attack as long as you have any card that can meet the target number and you have one soul stone you can be almost guaranteed that you can make that third attack if you need to right and not to mention like if you have bloodline coat he's in grit and you also have soul stones it makes it very difficult for the opponent to know if they can kill him Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so because soul stones have the ability to reduce to zero if john has grit and bloodline coat and he has some buffer space between you know where he's at and hard to kill it can really make the math on how many actions you need to take him out pretty difficult uh all right uh so we also have the writers and the emissaries in this category. Now, we're not really going to go into them 
individually, it's just, I think it's enough to say that these are also, you know, the really expensive models, they are enforcers, so they don't have that, that Soulstone use option uh, other than the Arcanist ones. But they're all just really quality models. Most of them have some kind of unique tech that, that's quite useful. Some of them might be more situational, like maybe the Mysterious Emissary is, is a bit more situational. But for the most part, I think the Emissaries and the Riders uh, are all very solid choices that firmly deserve to be in the good category. Yeah, I mean, especially with a lot of the Emissaries and the Riders, you know, they not only do they have like solid stats, again, they have these unique abilities within the faction that usually help them out or help fill like special, like certain tech pieces against certain um, enemy masters or keywords. Yep. Yep. And you know, in the, in the case of the effigy or emissaries, at least an added value is that there's the potential to hire them as the effigies with the upgrade. And then you're bringing them in for six stones instead of 10. Now, of course, it does take a little while and you have to make sure they don't die first. I don't really know what the community thinks in terms of whether or not it's really worth it to take that, you know, to go that route. Uh, because I feel like when I see them hired, I generally see the emissaries hired straight out. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, it is an option that exists. So always having the option is better than not having it. And I'm sure there are certain circumstances where it is the right choice. That I think will pretty much do it for what we have in, in the good category, you know, these lists are not necessarily exhaustive, right? There, there are probably other models that, that belong in this category and, and, and we're not really going to go through all of them in all three categories, but kind of an overarching theme with these good models is that they have quality actions, they have quality stats, they have good defenses, and they have efficiencies. They, they're able to do extra stuff and they're able to do it pretty reliably. Uh, and they also, you know, you know, they may, some of them may be in this category because they have individual answers that are very effective. But let's move now to these models that we put into the OK category. Kogan? So we kind of talk about the OK category as like, these are decent choices in keyword. They maybe don't have enough out of keyword. Ototo is the first one on our list. Why don't you talk about Ototo a little bit? Ototo is just like a very solid damage dealing model. What makes him really nice, I think for me is his self-sufficiency. Again, he has that really nice combination of hard to kill and self-heal through Juggernaut. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, he has armor plus one. And then his grit ability, where he basically gets free plus flips to attacks and damage, really pushes him over the edge. So he's in this nice spot where he is fairly resilient, the enemy can't one-shot him, and if he activates, he can heal himself up to reset the hard-to-kill. And because he can control that heal, he's able to make good use out of his basically free focus attacks and then heal up afterwards and kind of continue to force the enemy to just pour AP into him to try and kill him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's got Ruthless, which is never bad. He's got Charge through, so even when he's not at half, he can still get up to you know straight flip on damage reasonably reliably when he charges with the storm is coming he's more mobile than you would think what kind of makes him in the okay category instead of the good category i mean i do see him taken out of keyword from time to time mm-hmm. uh usually it's also i mean, i for me i feel like it's usually also when you see um Minaka ray so sometimes taken in a sami out of keyword right mm-hmm. because uh Minaka ray is in keyword for which i mean she's versatile but the onis that she summons are you know, have extra synergy with with uh, Asami. 
you know, even though he does get taken keywords or out of keywords sometimes, what puts him in the okay category for us? In this case, a big part of it is he just has the unfortunate placement of being in 10 Thunders, which is just <laughs> full of very good versatile choices. His ability to play shadow markers helps him out in keyword. And again, like you mentioned with Monaco Ray, him losing that synergy, I feel like really doesn't affect his ability that much. But it's just enough to make him, I guess, less appealing than some of the other choices in faction like Fuhatsu. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, his four defense and four willpower are a bit of a problem. And the fact that he doesn't have a built-in third AP, you know, he can get fast potentially if he kills something. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have that third AP. His triggers on his attack, I mean, Critical Strike is okay, but Thunderous Blow is oftentimes it's going to struggle for for relevance mm -hmm. so you know even though i think he's a a solid model uh i would say that for me his poor defenses and his lack of a built-in third ap are kind of what edges him out yeah like having um assassin is nice so you can actually get that fast but like you said it's not super reliable as far as like having low defense and willpower i feel like it's offset enough just by his resilience and his grit that I'm kind of okay with that sacrifice in most cases. But yeah, again, I feel like in other factions, he would probably rank a bit higher. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because not only is Fuhatsu or Samurai a really good option, but the Shadow Emissary is also a very mobile beater. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think you're wrong if you take Ototo out of keyword. As I said, I, I've seen it before. I'm sure... I'm sure people can do it and have great success. But as I kind of mentioned, I think he's missing just that little something that pushes him just on, you know, over the line into this okay category. Mm -hmm. Another model we have is Amanozaku. And I know you play quite a bit of Asami, so why don't you talk about why this model got put in the okay category? Yeah, so Amanozaku, this is another case of where I it's like a really good all-round model, especially in keyword. But once you take it out of keyword, it loses enough synergy again, and also being 10 Thunders, <laughs> that it, be, it becomes less appealing than other options that are either the same cost or slightly lower. Mm -hmm. So Amonozako does have um, fairly reliable access to a third AP. It has the action, what is it, Dark Promises? promising the dark, dark bargain. bargain yeah dark yes, bargain. dark bargain so it has a very low tn so on a five you can get it to go off but you do need that mass trigger but again with such a low tn usually as long as you have a mask in hand you can get that or since it is a henchman you can reliably just you know stone for that extra ap when you need it and you know amonozaku is a very mobile model it's flying movement six and it has a very solid 3-4-5 damage track with pretty decent triggers. Um, it has Drink Blood, so it can kind of heal up if it's taken some damage. And it also has Delay, which it's always great to just pass out slow while you're ripping someone's face <laughs> off. But yeah, I, especially yeah. if, you know, if, you, if you knew going in you couldn't kill them, but you can slow them, that's great. If you expected to kill them, but you Black Joker one of the attacks or something, and, and so now they're going to live. Mm -hmm. uh, being able to stick slow on something is, is really nice. You know, if you can, a slow model isn't worthless, but it's doing a lot less uh, than it would have otherwise. 
Right. And especially because in this case, your primary objective is pretty much to just wipe them off the table. So if you can just get slow, you know, in addition to that, it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Omnozako also being Oni has access to Flicker, which helps make that attack a bit more reliable. Mm-hmm. Defensively is where I feel like it suffers a little bit in that its only real defensive ability is that terrifying 11. So it does help out a little bit, but it's not really a model you want to be stuck in for the entire game. You want to be able to use that mobility to kind of pick off like scheme runners or weakened models so you can keep up that threat range. But once you get stuck in that terrifying 11, like it helps out a little bit, but once those hits go through, there's not much to stop it. But I, I, you know, again, as always, you can burn soul stones to kind of help out a little bit, but it feels a bit better if you already have some built-in re- damage reduction with that. I very rarely see Amanozaku uh, taken out of keyword. And I think, you know, it's for the reasons that we talked about that, you know, his defenses maybe aren't enough, um, that there's other options within faction uh, to do kind of a similar role. You know, I'm not sure really how much it adds, like his keyword synergies add to him, but I think the the shortfalls that he does have are just enough to keep him out of viability as, as a top option out of keyword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the nice things being in keyword is you do have options for removing that flicker without having to kill something. Mm-hmm. And there's always that like weird decision point where you're sitting at two flicker and you're staring down that enemy at like two or three health. <laughs> and you're like, I mean, I should be able to hit. <laughs> but if you miss, you just pop and lose your 10 point model, uh-huh. which is not a great feeling. Yeah, I mean, Flicker is fantastic because it's it's just so much efficiency, right? I mean, it's free focus that it's not focused, so you can also have focus. It it just it does so much for you in in the right circumstance. And yeah, probably the fact that you don't have the same tools to manage it out of keyword, uh, you know, combined with his kind of lackluster defenses and the other options in faction that exist, those are probably enough to keep him in the okay category. I feel like Izamu is in a similar boat maybe or or like maybe a like the boat is the same shape but it's a bit smaller (laughs) like it you know it's the older the previous year's model because i think izamu i think he struggles even to get into keyword crews and it's Mm. not because he's bad uh you know he's he's a he's a solid tanky min three beater uh he's got flurry he's got decent actions he's got decent triggers when he dies he could potentially come back in keyword you know I, i think he's He's a seems like a solid choice, and yet frequently, when I watch Ian Low games uh, or uh, you know on Vassal, I tend to take him quite a bit. But as I've mentioned several times, I'm only kind of like a mid grade player. So <laughs> <laughs> when I watch sort of stronger players take him on Vassal, he tends to get crowded out by other options, which probably speaks to you know some of his short uh, fundamental shortcomings. Which you know his defense, his stats, uh, his defensive stats are terrible. Uh, he's got a really low move. In practice, even though he does have that reliquary, how often do models really come back, especially since uh, that got nerfed quite a bit? So, yeah, I mean, I think Izamu is similar to Amanozaku in, in that it's a solid model with some fundamental drawbacks, and it its keyword synergies may not be enough to help it even um, in keyword, but certainly would keep the model from, from showing up out of keyword. All right, and then the Ice Golem is another model that we have in this in this uh category tell me about the ice golem yeah so the ice golem is just a very solid damage dealer it has that 
three, four, six damage track, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. And it also has flurry, so you're getting three attacks. I guess it's it, it's a little bit held back in that it has uh, slightly lower defense at defense four. Um, actually, does, does it have willpower four as well? No, it's got willpower five. Okay, so that's nice. It's got move four, though. It's pretty slow. Yeah, move four is a little bit slow, but with its synergy, like when it's near ice pillars, the kind of bullshittery you can pull off is amazing <laughs> because it has that one ability. If it's within two inches of an ice pillar, it can just get rams on its attack. Oh, it's one inch. Oh, one inch. Sorry. Um, when it's one inch, you can get rams, which is just like a free plus one damage or plus mm-hmm. two damage if it has slow. Your three, four, six damage track is either four, five, seven, or five, six, eight. <laughs> and with Flurry on top of that, so if you're able to set that up, there's really not much that's going to withstand more than one or two hits from that. Yeah. And the Blizzard, you know, the ability to make a hazardous two aura within four inches, that's pretty nasty. Yeah. And then not to mention the re four from Ice <laughs> bonus action. So, you know, like armor two and 10 health is our, or sorry, nine health. I'm just getting everything wrong on this card. <laughs> um, the armor two and nine health is a lot to chew through. And if you don't quite get it and the ice golem activates, you have a nice ice pillows around. It just free heals as a bonus action. And it doesn't have any other bonus action. So it's pretty much just like, thank you. You gave me something extra to do. So potentially min five, uh, flurry. Uh, armor 2, self-heal. I mean, this model sounds great. Why is it only in the okay category? Yeah, so the reason we put it here is because without those ice pillars, <laughs> it it suffers quite a bit in that, you know, you have a lot of other options that fill a similar role. If you're not able to reliably get those ram triggers on it, you know, the 3-4-6 oh, damage track. The 3-4-6 damage track is nice, but it's not terribly unique. Like, getting an extra damage on the severe is nice, but generally you're not relying on hitting severe with most of your attacks and then you know you can't really heal that reliably you you know depending on what other out of keyword models you bring along you might be able to get one or two pillars to heal up but that's not as huge of a swing to necessarily save him from impending doom right yeah he loses a lot by not being in keyword Mm mm-hmm you know, with Raspy, because uh, Sandeep can summon him, but he's still not quite as good in uh, Sandeep crew because uh, the Blizzard would affect uh, his models, right? Because the Blizzard, as a horror, the <laughs> Blizzard's hazardous aura damages non-December model. You know, if if you're not a December model, you could potentially be taking two damage for each action, also, mm-hmm. which is pretty harsh uh, from your own model. And then I think another problem that the Ice Golem has, and this is probably what sort of restricts him at higher level play, is that he is armor too, but if you bring something that can ignore armor, either arm piercing or irreducible or whatever, and if that model is min three, you can kill it with three actions with three min min hits. Or, you know, if you have like focus or if you can get bigger hits, right? Like you can actually work out the math to kill him fairly reliably, I think, with the right answer models. Mm-hmm. And that's probably enough to keep him out of kind of higher level play. Mm-hmm. At like casual play at the store or whatever, I think the Ice Golem is probably a lot stronger than high level tournament play. 
you know, like Mad Dog. Mad Dog will melt the Ice Golem pretty reliably. He can even do it in one turn. Yeah, he can do it in one turn. Um, and he's got and and his trigger is built in. So I, I think that's like a really useful example of how the game is. I think fundamentally different at higher levels of play. Uh, and it's that these weaknesses that maybe aren't apparent at first really become quite glaring when you're playing against an opponent who knows how to exploit them. Mm. And like, even if you don't have that high damage shots, if you just like throw stagger on them, like now you have a movement to <laughs> golem like walking around. And, you know, because it's 10 costs, like throwing stagger on that and just like basically disabling it for a turn is huge. When we have that battle report, the the Raspy versus Vix, where I brought Hans, mm-hmm. I brought Hans to uh, to stagger and slow, or sorry, stun and slow the Ice Golem every turn. Like that was my plan on mm-hmm. how to deal with the Ice Golem. That didn't end up happening because <laughs> you didn't bring the Ice Golem, and I set up Hans really poorly. But it just it goes to show that when people know the ice golem is a possibility, like when your opponent declares raspy, (laughs) (laughs) you know, your, your opponent might start to look for those answer pieces and those answer pieces can really attack the ice golem in ways that it just, it, it, it can't really hold up. Mm -hmm. But, you know, generally I, I think he's a pretty decent model and all these sort of okay models of which, you know, there, there are others. Again, none of these lists are exhaustive. Um, but these these okay models, they're perfectly serviceable. They're maybe not as great as uh, you know some of the models that have better efficiencies or, or better tech or, or whatever. But I don't think you know you're you know to use the clickbait terms, you're not an idiot for hiring these models. But again, following up on these clickbait titles, uh, so the category of models you are an idiot if you hire, <laughs> which by the way I do not believe again. But I know so so we do have a basement uh, category, and that's where we are now. Corgan, why don't you lead us off with like one of the models that's sitting in the basement? The fucking poster boy <laughs> <laughs> of this. Yasunori, how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> like back in GG Zero, he's pretty much an auto-take for any crew, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, he was he was really strong. And now he is like he's a paperweight. Yeah, I don't I think I've seen him like on the table once. And my opponent was just so disappointed with them. And it's like, <laughs> I, I understand. Because they reduce, they basically reduced the efficiency of him across the board. And then they upped his cost to boot. <laughs> so they're like paying more for a worse model. It's like, excellent. <laughs> you know, like looking first glance at the card, the first thing that pops out is like, oh, he has great defensive stats. Like his stats are really high. You know, he has seven movement, um, six defense seven willpower which is great but then you know the rest of the front of his card is pretty bland mm-hmm. he has um that chasing is it chasing fate it's chasing um, advantage chasing advantage chasing advantage where for every three cards in the opponent's control hand he gets to add a mask to his abilities to his final mm-hmm. duels previously this was for every two so you could get up to plus three which paired really well with his defensive ability, which reduces damage by one for every mask he has in final duel. Yeah. So like very reminiscent of riders. In fact, you know, there's two real implications of this change. Not only could he get three masks, which potentially could reduce damage by up to three, but also 
your opponent had to get down to one card before they weren't giving you any masks. Mm -hmm. And now they only have to get down to two cards. And that, you know, that can be quite a significant difference in a, in a turn. Well, I mean, just like the big thing too, right? Between two and three, like it wasn't difficult to get it, you know, to reduce your hand by one card as the opponent. Mm -hmm. But then it's still reducing all damage by two. And there isn't really, unless you have access to irreducible damage, which is pretty rare to come by, every attack is just getting dropped by two damage for the most part. Yeah, so his front of card suffered and his back of card suffered quite a bit too, right? Yeah, so what he currently has on a mass trigger is quick reflexes in the past, in the good old days. He had Onslaught, which meant that he could just go to town <laughs> on a model and basically eviscerate it since you just had free Onslaught attacks on a six plus flip stat. So highly reliable attacks with built in extra attacks. You just charge an enemy, get in four attacks, and you're pretty much hitting all of them. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's got that other trigger, which really wasn't which wasn't affected that chaos unleashed which is i i mean it's more situational uh than onslaught it it's probably more applicable than quick reflexes because quick reflexes requires you to be engaging multiple models with a one inch range yeah with a one inch range now you are a 50 mil miniature but yeah mm. the funny thing the thing that amuses me about chaos unleashed is it's kind of like it competes with the wind's wrath in some ways, which I, I think the Wind's Wrath, it's an action where sometimes you're going to have to do it and prevent a point or whatever, and that's going to be huge. But if that's not the case, it's just a really bad action. Especially it's, when you're paying 11 points to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It It's, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's situational, but you really, as an 11-point model, you kind of hope or you kind of wish that it did more than it does. Reveling Chaos, you know, I've seen that be pretty useful, especially if, um, you know, at the start, if your opponent stones for cards or something, you might be able to sort of mess that up. If you know your opponent carried over some good cards from the previous turn, uh, you might be able to mess it up. But I don't like Reveling Chaos very much because I don't think it does enough for you as the player. Mm -hmm. If you do it later in the turn, it probably just helps both players equally. It's kind of like... Every Zoraida player has stories about how, oh, my bonus action helps my opponent more than me, right? And I think of Revel and Chaos as kind of similar to that. And I just, I think Revel and Chaos could have used maybe a, a mask, like a multiple mask trigger to do something extra for you. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think Yasunori, he's just too expensive. He doesn't do enough and there's just plenty of better options. It, it's hard for me to say take Yasunori over, say, the Shadow Emissary. Back of the card is just so disappointing. Like, no action in there is worth an 11-point sticker. Yeah. Like, Balanced Sword? Like, oh, man. <laughs> There's also just so much empty space. <laughs> That's making it feel really sad. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was too strong before, but it did not need the nerf and the point increase. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I would really struggle to find any reason to put him on the table unless, um, you know, unless I were trying some kind of really high mobility strategy where I had a few 
expensive but really fast, really mobile models. But yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think he's a good choice. Mm. All right, our next option is is Killjoy. Tell me about uh, tell me about uh, this guy. Killjoy is like the model that I see so many players fall in love with, and then they put him on the table for like two or three games, and I just never see them again. <laughs> and it's it's again one of those things where he there isn't anything on his card that necessarily screams to me that it's like bad, but after you get in a few rounds you kind of start seeing like the inefficiencies pop out. The big thing that I feel like draws a lot of people to him is his demise ability, right? Mm-hmm. So it's essentially you have this 10-point model with like a really nice damage track. And like Juggernaut, you're thinking like, oh man, he's going to heal so much health. If you kill him, he's just going to pop back up. Like you're not getting rid of him. He's just always going to be a thorn in my opponent's side. But because him coming back is pretty much dependent on him killing other models in your crew <laughs> like to really get full use out of him you, you have to invest more than 10 soul stones worth of points right because mm-hmm. those models you're killing like it's not very often where they're going to be hanging out in one health they're probably going to die anyways and up oh, out comes killjoy <laughs> So normally, you know, like when you're building a killjoy, it's like, oh, I'll take these like two, like these three or four point nothing models and he can pop out of them. But then now you're paying what, like 18 points for killjoy. (laughs) And it just doesn't feel great. Yeah. Yeah. He also, um, you know, his triggers are are good, uh, but he's an enforcer. So he he does lose that little bit of reliability that a henchman would bring. Mm -hmm. But I think his big problem is his keyword that he's in. The Fae keyword already has a lot of um, demands in, in this kind of tensile stone elite cost category because the Mysterious Emissary is very frequently taken with Titania. Uh, the synergy there is, is just really strong. Uh, the Malasaurus Rex in a high cost elite beater model, um, you know, attacking model, whatever you want to call it. And then the Totem, the Gorar, can replace into uh you know one of these killed high cost enforcers which really undercuts the you know the whole resurrection scheme that killjoy had mm-hmm. and i i think in another keyword killjoy would be welcome with open arms but i think in the fey keyword killjoy could just get crowded out yeah yeah for sure there's there's just a lot of good options and yeah, I think what you mentioned with the Gorar is a big thing, right? Like, why do you want to set it up so one of your other models you have to pop when you can just have your totem that's usually sitting back there and spitting poison just turn into a Malasaurus Rex? <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, in common with a lot of these tensile stone, you know, melee models, even though they look really, like, they look really kind of tanky, oftentimes in games, in order to keep them around, they become resource sinks because their defense is so low that they're getting hit all the time Mm -hmm. so yeah you might say yeah he's got juggernaut but juggernaut is a resource drain so even though it's great that he has it if you have to be reserving this card every turn for juggernaut you know that adds up right and you compare it to maybe a model that can defend itself like say the the core when an opponent misses with an action that's just a wasted action that defense seven in a lot of times that's going to be preferable to like the ice golem's defense for armor two or whatever mm-hmm. so yeah so killjoy again a model that maybe would be 
uh, would find a happy home in a lot of keywords just gets crowded out in the fake keyword. And then I think it doesn't get taken out of keyword just because it for 11 stones, it just doesn't bring enough, right? Any keyword option or the hooded writer or the emissary. Yeah, I just, I don't think he's good enough to bring out of keyword. Mm. All right, Carver. So Carver is one of those models that every single person, or I shouldn't say that, but I feel like <laughs> all woe players want to love Carver. And I see him get tried all the time. Like I see posts about this all the time and it matches my experience too, where people are going to say things like, I don't, you know, I like Carver. I don't see why people say Carver's bad. I'm going to play Carver. And then a couple of weeks later, there's a, a follow-up post by the same person. Yeah, Carver's garbage. <laughs> you know, you read Carver's card and he looks like he should just be an all-star. But I have struggled to really get any value from him in any game I've ever played with him. <laughs> was I supposed to comment on that? I thought you were going to expand on that. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, you've seen Carver. You've seen me play Carver in in a couple of games. I was wondering if you had any thoughts on on him. I mean, I it's the same thing. I played against a couple people that you know run ran Pandora that had Carver, and like, yeah, most of the time I just kind of ignored him. <laughs> I I really don't want to deal with terrifying flips, and he never did enough that made it worth it to want to deal with the terrifying flips. Like he'd run in and he'd you know, get his hits in, uh, you do a little bit of damage, but it's, I'm not really sure what it is either. So like, I'm here flipping through his card and I'm like, I feel like I should be more scared of this guy, but it's like. Yeah. I mean, so his defenses are only okay, right? He's got terrifying 11 and he can potentially heal sometimes mm -hmm. um, from feed on fear. And he is a henchman, so he can stone, but really that's not great defenses for a 10 soul stone model. His attack is stat seven, which is fantastic. Uh, but the damage track is two, two, four, and that is just so bad. Mm. You know, he's got built-in crit strike, and because of the way, you know, because of the synergy he has with Pandora, he could potentially have just automatically two rams. So he can't be sitting at min four without actually really any work at all, because all it takes is any ram card for Pandora to do it. Mm -hmm. But you never live the dream where he's just like min four wiping people off the map. You know, his other triggers are swift action and execute. Those are great triggers, uh, but they compete against his crit strike. And without crit strike, he's just min two. Mm -hmm. He's min two. He's also moderate too. Like that is just so bad. Even if two, three, four would just be, a, I mean, that's not enough to make him a good model uh, or enough probably to make him hireable. Mm -hmm. But it would still just be a lot better. You know, Breath of Fire, that's a great action. Giving Stun as a bonus action is fine. Draw Essence, I, I, I think that's kind of a garbage action. I, I, <laughs> I, I pretty much never use it. If I had some trigger to, to do it for free, you know, I might do it. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't think... It's also kind of a curious, like... It's based on defense. If it had based on willpower, it would have synergized with Feed on Fear. And he, you know, maybe could have healed a lot better. Mm -hmm. But it's hard for me to see when Draw Essence is the right choice uh, for that model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's he's just, he's kind of a curious model to me because it looks like he does a lot or it looks like he should have a lot of utility. Mm -hmm. And he just, he doesn't. Yeah, like looking at it 
again, I'm thinking it probably suffers something similar to the Ice Golem, but then his abilities aren't high impact. In, well, I guess his defensive abilities aren't high enough to keep him in the game long enough so that he can actually start capitalizing on his offensive abilities. Because I, I kind of remember now, I was playing a game, and this was when I was still running Guild, and I just had my Pathfinder, and it's like, you know, Terrifying Eleven is okay, but I'm fine, like, chucking a card to pass the Terrifying to hit a 10-cost model, especially when they don't have any innate damage resistance. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. my Pathfinders, you know, I just, like, all right, I'll just drop, like, the six or eight in my hand to make sure I get my hit in. And then, you know, I can, like, pop them for, like, four or five damage. <laughs> And it's like, all right, you can use soul stones, but like burning a soul stone and then flipping a week? Oh. <laughs> Pretty much wiped Carver off with just, you know, like my 14-inch guns before you could get close enough to really do anything. And I'm okay with burning a few extra resources to make sure those shots hit because that's like a fifth of your crew right there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing about Terrifying Eleven. Like later in the turn, those low-value terrifyings can have a huge impact, you know, when you don't have the resources left to cheat. But early in the turn, when, when someone has a stocked hand, if their goal for that turn is to take out Carver, which, because he's 10 soul stones, that's not a bad goal, it's really, it, it can be quite difficult to keep him on the board. And that, that's not good enough for a 10 soul stone model. Even if he were phenomenal, the fact that you could take him off the board with a high degree of reliability is a problem. He has poor defenses and then he doesn't he doesn't really do much and you know what's interesting to me is that pandora players are frequently suckered into like trying to make carver work but i feel like i never see posts from dreamer players saying like (laughs) oh i i you know carver's great i'm gonna use him and he's you know i know other people say he's not good but whatever like i'm gonna own face with carver for whatever reason dreamer players have caught on or just like they never fall into that trap I honestly can't think of a single instance when I've seen him in a Dreamer crew. Now, please don't write in saying I play Dreamer and I take him. Like The second someone says, I've never seen, someone else stands up and says, oh, well, I've done it, right? So no, I'm not saying it's never happened in the history of Malifaux, just that I haven't seen it. But it, it is curious to me that for whatever reason, Pandora players love this model enough to try to make it work. And Dreamer players are just like, nah, I, I ain't touching that. I honestly forgot he was the nightmare keyword. <laughs> I mean, I feel like a big part of that is you have Lord Chompybits, right? You see Lord Chompybits card. He's like, the model's great. He's going around. I feel like he kind of fills the, that spot that Carver tries to fill in Pandora Cruise. <laughs> it might be because of Chompy. I, I, I don't really know what it is, but yeah, for whatever reason, Dreamer players, uh, <laughs> they, they, they've learned the lesson or they already knew the lesson. All right, uh, so we're getting kind of towards the end, uh, so I'll just hit a couple of these kind of quickly. The Rogue Necromancy sort of in this category, not because it's a bad model, but because it's just sort of a straightforward min three. You know, it, its attack is reliable, but it's an enforcer, so it can't it can't stone for the Pouncing Strike. Uh, it doesn't have Flurry. It doesn't have like a ton of these other efficiencies. The the des- uh, the Desolation Engine I know is is quite controversial. Some people love it. Most people seem to consider it not really worth the cost. Kogan, I know you've played the Fire Golem a couple times. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about the Fire Golem and why we kind of have put it into this category? Oh, I was happy with the Fire Golem until I went up against Chiaki. (laughs) 
So, I mean, that's like the the same thing with the ice golem, or right? right? You know, we talk about the ice golem, how, you know, it's it seems great, but there are answers. Yeah, I was just, I feel like it's the ice golem, but it's a lot more severe because mm-hmm. it takes so much more to ramp up that defensive ability and it can be taken away so quickly. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the mm-hmm. ice golem, like, all right, sure, they can get armor piercing, but, you know, you can kind of control for that a little bit like you know it's like that one unit that one high cost unit with like armor piercing you can tie them up you can try and snipe them out and even if not they have to chew through nine hp Mm -hmm. so you know if they have mad dog okay you know (laughs) that's kind of bad but you still have that heal to fall back on Mm -hmm. whereas with the fire golem you don't have a heal to fall back on and your only heal other healing crew relies on you having like burning available and it, it makes it a, l- a lot rougher, especially, you know, you know, like healing in crew is always great, but having to rely on another model for that also makes it a lot tougher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, um, I think part of the issue that he has is related to uh, issues that burning crews have, right? We kind of, we did that episode about uh, condition masters, mm-hmm. right? Some of the damage is expected to come from burning, but there are answers to condition. There's not really an answer to a min five fist to the face, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that the fire golem kind of has the ice golem's issues, but just a little more severely in all categories, but defense and offense, um, I do think is enough to kind of knock it into uh, this bad section. Kia is another model that people, the henchman for EVS, she, the consensus is she's terrible. You know, her irreducible relies on on reducing her shielded. There's just other options in in explorers. And I think what we're seeing that separates kind of the bad from the okay models, the bad models have the okay models issues just more severely or without kind of the mitigating extra synergies uh, that the okay models have. Right. Yeah, because those... (laughs) God. These categories, these <laughs> these okay models. It's like you're happy to take them in keyword. Once you lose those little extra efficiencies, just so many things become available. And I feel like you know this is kind of highlighted in Jonathan, right? Mm-hmm. Like he went from being all right in Frontier. Like I'm not even sure if he was like an auto pickup in keyword. Well, no, but but I'm part of that was Fiona. Yeah, so like in his case, it was they nerfed the other option a bit, and they also just introduce all these efficiencies that made him so much more appealing yeah no i i I think that's pretty much a a trend through the way we've kind of structured structured our evaluations and it might sort of speak to the way we play the game uh you know a lot of a lot of the ways that i end up evaluating models is based on defenses and players maybe who are more precise or or less defensive minded be able to kind of get more value from from some of these models that I don't rate as highly because they're not as easy for me to keep on the table. But, you know, I do think that the categories that we have, they're not absolute or they're not they're not the last word on on what makes models good or bad. But I do think that we've at least laid out a framework that should explain why we think models fall kind of where we put them. Yeah. And I think part of it too, it's like, you know, you're saying there's gonna be people saying like, oh, we've had a lot of success and things like this. You mentioned in Carver, like with specific setups, like he could be a monster, but it's so unreliable that it's not really worth spending all these points on that risk. Right. 
Now, there's a ton of 10 Soulstone models. You know, we didn't hit every model. The Mature Nephilim, right? They're they're probably a good model. I see them out of keyword all the time. You know, they're min three, they they fly, whatever. The captain, the captain's a solid model in a lot of choices, right? We we weren't able to get to every single 10 Soulstone model, mainly due to time. You know, we're already over an hour and you know, almost an hour 15 or whatever on this one episode. There are a lot of 10 Soulstone models out there, and our lists are not exhaustive and they're also not the objective truth. But what I would say is that when you're reaching for these 10 Soulstone models, you really have to look and see if the cost that you're sinking into them is really worth it. Because oftentimes there's going to be cheaper options to do what it is you're needing to do. And that's really why I think a lot of these models get put in the bad or okay categories. Not because it would be so terrible to have them in your crew, but there might be an eight or a nine Soulstone option available to you. And it just makes it a little bit harder to justify paying, you know, the extra stone or two. Yeah, for sure. Is there any model that you kind of like the general opinion might be that it's not so great or you've struggled to really find value from it, but you know, damn it, you, you're going to take this model. I mean, it recently changed. I kept trying to make the Lotus Eater work. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I can't. I can't with that model. It's just, <laughs> I feel like there's been like way too many models like that now that I think about it. <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, I read their card. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I got the strategy. I'm going to put it on the table and I'm just going to win the game because I'm a genius. <laughs> and then I pre- they proceed to do nothing and die with, and, and sometimes they don't even die. They just don't do anything for the entire game. <laughs> that that <laughs> feels even worse when there's like no pressure on them. Uh-huh. And they're kind of where you need them to be. And they still underperform. Yeah. I mean, you don't really play Mayfang very often anymore. But I know a lot of people are down on Kang, who he's a 9 Soulstone model. He's not 10. But when I look at his card, I I would think that he might be quite useful, especially, you know, that, that ability to just pulse off focus or whatever. But a lot of people, a lot of Mayfang players are really quite down on, on him. If you... Have you found Kang to be a good model when you've taken him? Um, he's all right. I feel like the the problem is, you know, like during your setup phase, it's great because he mm-hmm. pulls out free focus to all those models. But one of the big things about the crew is the mobility that you get from ride on rails. Mm-hmm. And then trying to like take advantage of that mobility while still keeping people bubbled up enough to make that focus pulse feel worth it is a really hard balance to hit. <laughs> For me, Kojo is kind of a model in this category where, you know, he's not generally considered great and I like it. So, you know, when I play Marcus, I I take Kojo and then I wonder why it is I'm not really finding as much success as I want with him. And I think for him, the issue really is just efficiency. What he's doing is fine. He just, uh, he doesn't do enough and he's min two. Uh, If he were min three, I think he would be an easier sell. Uh, but being into, especially as kind of your frontline tank model, is a bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. He also doesn't have really any defenses of his own. Now, in a Marcus crew, you can, you can give him some options. And that's probably why he doesn't have a bunch of defenses on his own, because they know that he can. But, you know, when you're costing him 10 stones, and I don't think he's doing quite enough, and he doesn't stay on the table easy enough to really value that really merit that valuation mm-hmm. yeah i'm still gonna keep playing him <laughs> and that's the thing right like this is a game people should play what they want to play and they should play what makes them happy right you know we i know sometimes 
like we might come off as as maybe um well, I don't want to say reductive because I actually feel that you know we we take some some care with our analysis not to say like oh this is the bottom line but in no way are we saying you have to only take what everyone says are the best models or you're playing Malifaux wrong. No, you should take the models you want to take. But in taking the models, you should really think about why you're taking it and you know what, what you're giving up to take this model. And if you decide to take it anyways, how can you use it uh, maybe more effectively? Can you find a new use for it? Because that has happened in the past too, right? Like people have taken models that maybe the community didn't think were really all that great. And they have twisted it and found a way to use them. And then that can be, you know, kind of exciting to, to discover that. And that's, I think, another, another strength of the game of Malifaux, that what a model can do is not always readily apparent just from reading the card. I mean, I, I remember that I didn't care too much taking about Fuhatsu, but you complain about him so much that whenever I play against <laughs> you, I make it a point to fit him into my crew. <laughs> <laughs> He's got built-in plus flips, and all my crossroads models only have manipulative, so it's <laughs> pretty unfair. Uh, yeah, all right. So um, that's kind of our thinking on you know what makes these expensive models good, what makes them okay, what makes them bad. Yeah, we probably should have come up with better titles, but whatever. It's too late. It is. It's much too late. If you've listened, and y- you know, let us know what you think. Do you agree with our assessment? Do you disagree? Do you think our our value system? is right or wrong you, you know or, or is there an entirely different way of thinking about these models we would love to hear from you we play down here in los angeles uh, but we want to be part of the wider Malifaux community and that's one reason we're doing this podcast so you know we love getting all feedback we don't always respond uh super promptly or or whatever but uh, that doesn't mean we didn't see it that doesn't mean we didn't appreciate it it just meant that you know we uh uh, you know, something fell through the crack, and it's probably Colgan's fault. Um, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. No, no, Jim's not here. Let's just make it Jim's fault. We'll just both agree that it is Jim's fault. Okay, sure, it's Jim's fault. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, please send us that email, send us that Facebook message, uh, send us that Reddit thing. Uh, you know, hit us up on the forums or on our Discord or, or whatever. You know, we have a PayPal and a Patreon. If you'd like to support the channel in that way, you know, that would be super appreciated. And shout out to all of our backers who have backed so far and anyone who backed in the past and anyone who's thinking about backing you know we appreciate however people support us uh even if it's just a simple a simple listen even if you're not motivated to tell us how stupid you think we are if you listened uh we appreciate that as well and with that i think i'll just uh, say good night night everyone <laughs>